0: I'm thrilled to be here today to be a part of this series we've been in called End of Days that's been taking passages from the book of Revelation and looking at them together. And uh, I, I know there are probably some of you kind of disappointed that our approach has not been to, uh, to teach the book of Revelation to determine, you know, is Bill Gates the Antichrist and, uh, you know, is the COVID vaccine the mark of the beast and, and uh, that kind of stuff. What, what we've been doing instead is just lifting some of the great themes out of this book and looking at them. And today, my assignment is to, to talk to you about glimpsing the main street of reality. Now, we've entitled this, this whole series, uh, Understanding and, and uh, uh, Understanding God's Ultimate Reality. And so that's really what I want to be focused with you on today. And I have been assigned to deal with two chapters. Now, uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5, Will just read chapter 4. I'm not, we won't read it again, but I will make some comments on it. But it's like, man, thanks. You know, I mean, the other pastors, they get to speak on 8 to 10 verses. They gave me two chapters. <laughs> so we'll be out here by at least 1.30 today, I promise you. And uh, uh, now nobody's watching the time more than I am, and so uh, hang in there with me. We're going to take longer on the first chapter, chapter 4, Because it sets the stage for the second chapter five, but we'll get through chapter five fairly quickly. Now, as people read this, and I'm sure as Will was reading a minute ago, a lot of people say, Man, that is weird. That is just weird. And uh, especially, you know, uh, beings that have four different kinds of faces and six wings and eyes underneath their wings, and what in the world is that all about? And And frankly, it's because we don't have an appreciation for the way that the first hearers that John wrote this to, they they were familiar with something called apocalyptic literature. And apocalyptic literature used symbolism all the time. And so those symbols just, honestly, they they seem weird to us. But now, I want to just set the stage again. John writes this to a group of Christians in the first century, almost at the end of the first century, probably around 90, 91, something like that. An emperor by the name of Domitian is the emperor at the time, and he had begun persecuting Christians. In fact, John writes this letter from a rock island out in the middle of the Aegean Sea, kind of like Alcatraz out in San Francisco Bay, if you've been there to see that. And he's been banished there because for Christians, they have, they have begun to receive the ire of the Roman Empire, especially its governors and its emperor, because annually Romans were required to offer a sacrifice to their emperor and say the words, Caesar is Lord. And of course, you can see the conflict for a Christian to say that, can't you? Because for a Christian, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And so this put them at odds, and in fact, Domitian has begun an effort to actually kill Christians. And so the book of Revelation is written in that setting to encourage these folks. Shall we look at it together here? The problem is we don't get the symbolism, okay? Now, the same could be said, though, about some of our symbols. In fact, here's a symbol uh, coming up on the screen. And uh, who's this? Well, you all know that, but imagine somebody 2,000 years from now saying, what's with the guy with the top hat, you know, and the red bow tie and and the goatee? Who who is it? We understand this is Uncle Sam. He represents the, the federal government, okay? Or how about this series of symbols that I'll bet you... Americans within five seconds could recognize every single one of them and are very familiar with what they are. But imagine 2,000 years from now someone trying to decipher, what in the world is this page of symbols all about? Or how about these two symbols we've been seeing a lot this year? You know, what's with the donkey and the elephant thing, you know? And uh, now you all understand what that's about. In fact, is there significance that the donkey's on the left and the elephant is on the right? Right? on this page. And we get get what that's about. But people from another culture today wouldn't even understand what that is. That's why if we took this cartoon, and underneath this cartoon we just put 2024, everybody in here understands what that's talking about. This is apocalyptic literature. It's taking symbols and And the book of Revelation and other books in the Bible, they're animals and they're beasts and they're numbers that have significance. For example, here's another big symbol coming up. And uh, on this, it seems appropriate on this 4th of July weekend. Now, you know, is there symbolism that there are 13 stripes? Is there a reason that there are 50 stars in a blue field? See, we get it. We get it. And the book of Revelation does the same thing. So let me come through and comment on some of these and show you what Jesus is actually trying to say through John to his followers, all right? Let's write this down. First of all, what is chapter four's big idea? One of the things that NBI we teach is to say after you've read a chapter, hey, what's the big idea? And the idea is what is the main idea of chapter four? And I have to tell you, it's clearly the reigning Lord the reigning Lord there is a method a vision that starts here at chapter 4 it's actually gonna go all the way through chapter 5 but it starts and a drama begins now in the book of Revelation with chapter 4 and it starts with reminding us about the reigning Lord Now, how do we know it well because in verse 2 John says I'm caught up into heaven And in heaven, he he says, I saw a throne and one who sits on it. In fact, would you write that down? Because that's a good thing for us to be reminded of. There's a throne and one seated on it. Now, this is important for John to get across. Now, remember, John's audience, they're in a chaotic and evil time where it seems like evil is winning the day. Domitian and his forces are terminating Christianity if if they can. And so the Christians face an uncertain future that's surely going to involve confiscation of everything they have and death. Christians were being marginalized and despised as an antisocial group of weirdos. Sound familiar? They were being slandered and ridiculed and held in suspicion, And they're asking themselves, will we ever be able to live in peace and quiet again? And John says, I've been to the throne, and there's one who's seated on it. Do you catch what I'm saying here and why this is important? You know, honestly, I, I just thought about how we're living our lives today and on this Fourth of July weekend. You know, here's some things that I wrote down. Inflation is driving gra- uh, gas to $7 a, gal- a gallon. And, and uh, all of the experts are saying, you know, recession is definitely coming and probably layoffs are going to happen. Along with that, they threaten us. But I want to say to you, but there is a throne and there is one who's seated on it. And, you know, on this 4th of July weekend, our nation's in turmoil. Institutions are challenged. The rule of law is being flaunted. Violence is erupting all over. And morals seem to be absolutely in free fall. Anger and division is increasing. Drugs are descending and drag queens ascending. And confusion and despair is abounding. But there's a throne and one who's seated on it. Do you get what John is saying? And today, old Uncle Sam's exceptionalism seems to be slipping. Putin and Xi Jinping and Tehran and North Korea are menacing. But there's a throne and one who is seated on it. You see, those things are not Main Street of reality. This scene is Main Street of reality. In fact, I love how John is is trying to say, you know what, I've been to the throne and Domitian isn't sitting on it. (laughs) And God has not abdicated his throne. He is seated on it. In fact, Psalm 2, verses 2 and 4 says, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord. The powerful, they're conspiring against the Lord. This is certainly true in, Domitian's day this has been true throughout history it's certainly true in our day conspiring together against the Lord and his anointed one and the one enthroned in heaven notice what's his response (laughs) he laughs why you know, I just ran out of space to put more verses on your notes, but here's one I would have put on, Proverbs 21:30. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord because there is a throne and there's one who's seated on us on it. And I will tell you that, you know, there is a, there is a day of reckoning coming for all of those who are trying to find a way to succeed against the Lord because they're up against reality. And you know what? It's a good idea for us when our hearts get weighed down and we get concerned and worried. It's part of why we need to come to worship because every now and then we need just a glimpse again of reality. And when that happens, I found it so helpful. Someone shared with this with me years ago. Pray it up until you can play it down. Pray it up and lift it up to him until your eyes see the throne and the one who is seated on it, and then you can play it down and say, you know what? The Lord laughs because his ways are those ways. Now, verse 3, he describes the one who's on the throne. And notice, he describes him, uh, and if you'll uh, keep looking at that passage that's printed on the front, as uh, the appearance of jasper and a ruby, and a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Now, frankly, that probably doesn't do much for us because we're used to these kinds of precious kind of stones. But now put yourself in the times of these people. People didn't have rubies. They didn't have emeralds. They didn't have jasper. I mean, this was reserved for the uber-wealthy. And so what he's describing here, if you'll write it down, is God's beauty and grandeur, his beauty and grandeur. And even though this this description doesn't wow us, the beauty of color, the value of these precious stones that were rare and highly valued, it's a way of communicating what the Psalms mean when they say, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Now, would you also write this down? His mercy shines most. Because when he sees the throne of God, he sees this emerald rainbow around the throne. Now, what is that about? Well, I think this is an allusion to Old Testament scripture. In fact, last week, Pastor Andrew shared this with you that the writer of the book of John, uh, the, or the book of Revelation, John, uh, he knew his Bible. And there are some 500 allusions to the Old Testament that are contained in the book of Revelation. In fact, someone has said that of the 404 verses of Revelation, 278 of them have an allusion to an Old Testament reality. And I think this this emerald, this this rainbow uh, around the throne is an allusion to Genesis where God makes a covenant to not destroy the earth again. Rather, he says, I'm going to redeem it. And this is a picture for us that reminds us that when we get to Main Street of reality in heaven, that at the center of the universe is not a God of wrath as much as a God of love and mercy, whose favorite way of destroying enemies is to redeem them and save them. His mercy shines most. And then it's interesting because uh, in verse 8, we start encountering these these interesting uh, uh, beings because uh, notice it it tells us that um, uh, they're, uh, I'm sorry, not verse 8, we want to look at verse 4, it says, surrounding the throne of God, there were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. Now, what's that all about? Well, you just have to trust me on this. This is probably referring to God's redeemed people who are in heaven. Numbers have significance in the book of Revelation, and we know that 24 is two times 12. He's probably referring to the 12 nations of Israel in the past and the 12 apostles of the New Testament. And it's his way of saying, in heaven right now, there are redeemed people from all of those ages of history and they are before the throne. Now, this is significant, friends, because this is the first time a glimpse into heaven shows us people. We haven't had that in the Bible up until the book of Revelation. And what John is saying to those whom he's writing to is, he's saying, you know what? Some of them are some of your loved ones that you've already lost to martyrdom. And they're there with him, the 24 elders. And then notice he starts at verse 6, and he refers to four living creatures. And, man, these things are weird, are they not? They've got six wings with eyes all the way around, even underneath their wings, and, and uh, they're four living creatures, and they have four faces, the face of a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. What in the world is this all about? Well, again, I think it may be an allusion to Ezekiel chapter 1, and Isaiah chapter 6, you can check those out. You'll find those same four faces, those same beings with six wings. We're talking here about God's angelic host who do his work in his kingdom, in his world. Now, interestingly, it could be because sometimes in the book of Revelation, things will have specific imagery, and sometimes I think they're, thing that they're just there for window dressing, if you understand what I'm saying. And this may be one of those because it's interesting that uh, here's a bust. You see a picture of it of Julius Caesar, one of the emperors of the empire. And I want you to notice that he has a breast piece on. And at the bottom of it, there are these little leather things coming off his breast piece. And on those leather things at the bottom, there are faces. And here you see a, a face of an ox, a face of a ram, a face of a lion, and the face of a man. This is Julius Caesar. And very interesting, Domitian, who was emperor at this time, here's a bust of him that, that was discovered at Ephesus, and you see the same configuration. Go ahead and go to that next picture, if you will, please. There you go. And you see the same configuration, and if I were able to blow it up and let you see it, you know what's on that, on that breast piece? A lion, an ox, a man, a man, and an eagle and it could be that John is just saying you know I saw the one on the throne and I want to tell you that the symbol of his empire is is not with statues and images of lions like many of the kings had before their thrones but they are living creatures who possess the power of the kingdom now by the way we do the same thing today we know that the the image of America is an eagle The Russia bear, the symbol of England is a lion and a unicorn. And many African nations, the symbol of the nation are lions. And so here we see this thing that God's kingdom is a kingdom that is backed up with power. But now I want you to notice what these creatures do. Verse 8 says, each of the four living creatures had six wings, he was covered with eyes. In other words, they take in everything. They don't miss anything. And day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. Now, would you just write this down? What we see are here are his worshiper's total absorption with God himself. That in heaven, they're not wowed by the beauty of heaven. They're not wowed by the pleasures of heaven. They're wowed by the one who sits on the throne and this, this worship that happens is not something that's programmed to happen on the hour. You know, if, if you've ever seen the dictator of North Korea, anytime time that, that you see him, there are people surrounding him and they're all doing this kind of thing and smiling. It's almost like they're little wind-up toys and, boy, you better clap and look happy or you may disappear, you know. That's not the image here. The image here is that these beings... The elders, God's people, there, the angels, they are overcome with exhilaration. They're completely captivated by and preoccupied with the glorious one who is sitting on the throne. You see why John says you need to remember there is a throne and there is one who's sitting on it. And this is why, frankly, We better get in shape to learn how to worship, friends, (laughs) because this is what we do in heaven. Now, is this all we do? No, this is symbolism. It's imagery. It's not meaning to say that's all we do all day long. No, but it just means that there are times that we're overcome by the presence of our God. And, And why is that? Well, would you write this next thing down? Here's why. Because he's in a class all by himself. That's what this text is trying to tell us that there's a sea of crystal in front of him that's an expanse that cuts him off from us. We use the word transcendence to describe that. And before, in the center of the throne, there are seven spirits of God that are watching all that go on on the earth. Now, what is that about? Are there seven Holy Spirits? No, seven is a number of perfection. See, God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested because it was now complete. And he said, it's very good. It's perfect. And so in the book of Revelation, John loves the number seven, and he uses it over and over and over and over, and it's a symbol of perfection. What this is describing would be, another way we could say it would be the sevenfold Holy Spirit, who is absolutely perfect. And the angels cry out, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty now that word holy means to be completely separate and this is what we mean when we say that God is in a class all by himself there is literally nothing that can be compared to him in fact can I hurt your head here for a minute there's a theologian who is also a philosopher by the name of Paul Tillich who, uh, when he was living, wrote this. uh, Watch this on the screen. He said, the being of God is being itself. The being of God cannot be understood as the existence of a being alongside others or above others. If God is a being, he is subject to categories of finiteness, especially to space and substance. And we know him to be the infinite one, of course. Even if he is called the highest being in the sense of the most perfect or the most powerful being, this situation is not changed. When applied to God, superlatives, like he's glorious, he's awesome, he's mighty, he's holy, superlatives become diminutives because they reduce him to something, like saying he's like rubies, Okay? They become diminutives. They place him on the level of other beings while simply elevating him above all of them. And the point Tillich's making is there is no comparison. God is being itself because even when we say he's the king of kings and lord of lords, we're comparing him to kings and lords as we know them, and he is way, way above that. He is in a class All by himself in fact notice their worship goes on they worship him and they say you're worthy O Lord our God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being if I could say one more thing about him here it's this he's why we are we have being because of this being We are persons because he is the only real person in the entire universe. We're just made in his image. He's the creator. We're the creature. You get the point? We are because he is. Now, before we close this chapter, because we've still just done one chapter, (laughs) we still got to do chapter five, okay? And I promise we'll do it a lot faster. But can I just give you some takeaways from this chapter? Would you write these down? Number one, here's what John wants us to get. God is always bigger. God is always bigger. Friend, he's bigger than whatever you carried into this place with you here this morning that's on your heart that has you worried. He's bigger than any dictator. He's he's bigger than climate change. He's bigger than the economy. He's bigger than your marriage problems. He's bigger than your cancer. He's bigger than your money problems. You get the point? God is always bigger. And that's why he can be trusted to see you through every situation you ever face and to see you through with wisdom and strength because there's a throne and there's one who's seated on it. Number two, his plans and purposes are sure. See, he's the Lord God Almighty who is and who was and who is to come, and his kingdom is a kingdom that goes on forever. Now, the Christians, frankly, in Rome, there were times, there had been some decades in front of when this book was written, that, frankly, they were allowed to live fairly peacefully. But then a governor would change or an emperor would change and with that change came a change of policy. Just like in America, different administrations do things differently. And what scripture is trying to tell us is that this God is God forever. In fact, I love Psalm 33.1. It's another I would have put on your notes if I'd have had room. Look at what it says. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through how many generations? All generations. His plans and his purposes are sure. And I want to I say to you, this is why it's worth serving him and following him. Because he doesn't change on a whim. He's faithful, he's true, he's just. You can count on that. And he'll help you. If you'll live for him. And and you say, well, why is it that God's allowing so much evil and stuff going on in the world? Why does it seem that evil's winning the day? Well, it just seems that way. The best illustration I give you is a cruise ship. You know, if you were on a cruise ship, you could eat in the dining room, or you could sing karaoke in the bar, or you could swim in the pool, or you could shop in the in the shops or you could lounge on the deck or you could retire to your cabin. But I want to tell you, that cruise ship is taking the course that the captain has set for it and it's going to get to the point that he has planned for it to land on. And you can do all kinds of things in freedom, but that ship is taking you where the captain has decided it's to go. It's to go. And friends, God is in charge of where this world is going. And sometimes it doesn't make sense to us that's okay. Doesn't have to because you and I aren't sitting on that throne, though we try. He is. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes we, we talk about how there's a pendulum that swings in our society, and I think that's really true. And the pendulum swings because, you know, it, it's like, it's like there's a reaction. We do something so, and then we swing back because we don't like that, and we kind of swing this way. And I, and, and I take courage and, and just knowing there's a lot of stuff going on in our nation today. Friends, the, the pendulum will swing back. It will. In fact, we may be at the beginning of a swing of the pendulum right now. But here's what I want you to understand. God is the one who holds the apex and the pivot point of the pendulum. He has it. There is a throne and there's one who's seated on it. And the third thing, if you'll write this down, he's intending for you to be in all this. He wants you to be in on it. He wants you to be one of those 24 elders. He wants you to enjoy the glory and the joy of eternity. And I don't mean to sound like Darth Vader here, but Fulfill your destiny (laughs) because this is what you were made for. Amen. Now, we've just covered one chapter. Let's look at chapter five. I promise we'll do this quick, it won't take us as long. And in chapter five, notice that it starts in verse one, verse two. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. See, it's the same vision now, but new details. There was a scroll with writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. Now, what's this all about? Well, probably the best way here is is a scroll. This is God's edict of what he wants to see take place in the world. And it's written on both sides. He's got elaborate plans that he wants to see happen. If I could put it in a different way, this scroll is probably the destiny of the world. And it's got seven seals on it. Notice John's preoccupation uh, with seven seals. You know, interestingly, at this time in history, when somebody made a will, a last will and testament, it required seven witnesses, and they put seven seals on the last will and testament. So that this could be part of the the imagery that we have here. That God says, this is what's going to happen. This is my decrees for what's going to take place in the world. Now notice what it goes on to say. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll? In other words, who is worthy to bring these things about and to see them happen? Verse 3, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept, and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders, one of those 24 elders said, hey, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed, and he is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. And then John says, and then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, And the picture here is of a little lamb with its throat cut because it's being offered as a sacrifice. I saw that lamb standing as if it had been slain, standing, notice, at the center of the throne. Now realize, the throne's in the center. The sevenfold spirit's in the center. And now the lamb is in the center. You get the point that's being made here? This is a divine being and notice what it says. He's encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, and the lamb had seven horns. That's a symbol of power, his horns. He's got seven of them. Perfect power he has. And seven eyes. Oh, man, what? that's weird, seven eyes. A Symbolism, he sees everything. He doesn't miss anything. He sees what's going on in your life. He sees what's going on in the world. And notice... They are the seven spirits of God. There we have this Holy Spirit again who is sent out into the whole earth. Now, what's the big idea here? Would you write this down? If chapter 4 is the reigning Lord, chapter 5 is the redeeming Lamb. And I will tell you that five times this chapter refers to this Lamb. But not only that, beginning at chapter 5 to the end of the book of Revelation, 32 times Revelation is going to talk to us about the Lamb. Now, friends, I will tell you, the Lamb, the Lamb is the real focus of the book of Revelation. It's not the Antichrist. It's not the signs of the end. It's not the details of the tribulation or the second coming of Christ. The real focus of Revelation is a drama that the Lamb is in charge of he's the focus. In fact, would you write these two things down? The lion lamb who has triumphed. That's what the angel says. The lion lamb who has triumphed. He's the one worthy to take care of the rest of the future of the world. You see, the story of Jesus of Nazareth is how the eternal Son of God came in time as a man, and he who was a lion-hearted, fearless king came to humbly and gently lay down his life as a sacrificial lamb to take away the sins of the world. He is the lamb who is a lion. And I love this piece of artwork that kind of just captures both of these images. Um, because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in fact, Jesus said this about himself, John 16, He said, in the world, you will have tribulation. Can I get an amen to that? Yes. But be of good cheer. Now, that whole phrase, be of good cheer, that's just one word. And you know what it is? It's the word Courage courage like a lion has, because I have overcome the world. Jesus says, you'll find strength in me. Now listen, life is always hard, and sometimes it's downright tough in its seasons. And it can be cruel, and it can be unfair, but Jesus says, in me, you will overcome because I have overcome. In fact, if you'll write this down, he's won us over with roaring love. That's the message of the New Testament. That's the message here of Revelation chapter 5, that he's redeemed us, and he's won us over as a kingdom. His is a love that roars so loudly it reverberates forever. And it's what got my attention His great love, I can only testify to you that I wasn't won over to Jesus Christ because of his great teachings, though I admire his great teachings. I wasn't won over because of his amazing miracles, though I was amazed by his miracles. I was won over because Jesus of Nazareth, who was the lion-hearted king, Willingly put his himself in the hands of people who stretched out his hands and nailed him to a cross, and he stayed on that cross and poured out his life blood so that I could have eternity. That's what won me. And Revelation one five begins the first chapter by saying, "He is far greater than any any king on all the earth." All praise to him who always loves us. Notice the present tense of that. He always loves us and who has set us free from our sins by pouring out his lifeblood for us. And I will tell you that my day of reckoning is coming too and so is yours. And friend, I want to tell you that your only hope of standing before the throne someday and not facing wrath is to be able to say, my king died in my place. Now, I'll just speak for myself, though the Bible tells me, I know it's true of you too, when we talk about the bank of morality and righteousness, I am seriously overdrawn. But the king came. And he laid down his life like a lamb for me. And he gives me his righteousness and his grace, his mercy, makes me be able to be right with God forever. Oh, I want to tell you, the lion of the tribe of Judah is the lamb of God who poured out his lifeblood for us. Let's finish this up. Verses 7 to 10. Notice what it says. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. This is the second time, by the way, the elders are on their face. Fell down before the Lamb. And each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Please write this down. We've now got eyes for him forever. Because forever in eternity, we're going to be on our face before this lamb. Because of what he's done for us. Because of who he is and what he's done. And I like how a a, a theologian named N.T. Wright has, has put it. He's now turned moral rebels into useful servants. And so Jesus is now the supreme focus. And we love him and we worship him. Now, I just, I want to say this to you. I love a lot of things. I love my dear wife, who I never feel worthy of. I I love her with all my heart, but I don't love her like I love Jesus. And guess what? What? She loves me, but she loves Jesus a lot more than me. And I love my three kids, and I love their spouses. And I now have six grandkids, and I'm learning how to love them on a whole different level. That Man, if I'd have known loving grandkids would be so much fun, I'd have skipped having kids and just had grandkids. And I'm loving them. Some of you were laying bets that I would show pictures of them today because it's been so long i got six of them now, but I want to tell you, I don't love my kids and my grandkids the way I love Jesus. Is he like that in your heart? And I love my life, and I love my country. You cut me, and I bleed red, white, and blue, my friends. But this country's going to come to an end someday, but his kingdom is never going to end. And a million years from now, I'm going to be on my face before this lion who is a lamb. Will you? Let's finish this up. Verse 11. And then I looked. He says, now you, you know, the creatures are worshiping and the, you know, the elders are worshiping. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne, and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive counties, power, and wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. How many things did he identify? Seven, because this is sevenfold perfect worship. And then I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth and on the sea, and all that is in them. In other words, all of creation itself begins to worship him. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Now, I just want to ask you this question. How big a deal is Jesus in your life? Ladies, is he your leading man? Fellas, is... Is is he prominent or is he preeminent in your life? And you know, these seven things here he talks about, notice them again, power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. I want to ask you, where do you look for those things in your life? Because wherever you're looking to get those things, that's what your great worth ship really is. That's what's important to you. and it's always going to come up empty. Because when you and I give him his rightful place, he helps put everything else in its proper place in our life. If you write this last thought down, oh, our destiny is in very good hands. Now, would not that a good message to the, to the people that John wrote to? who were wondering if God had forgotten them, and he says, no, 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 no. No, your destiny is in very good hands, in mighty hands, in scarred hands, but in very, very good hands. Psalm 48, 14 says, for this God is our God forever and ever, and he will be our guide to the end. Isn't that good news? You know, I hope... I've helped you just get a glimpse of reality today. Because this this is Main Street of reality. It's not Wall Street. It's not Washington, D.C. or Beijing or anywhere else in the world. It's that there is a throne room and there's a throne and one seated on it. Have you made him your God? Bow with me for prayer, will you? you know I've been praying for some of you this week and I've been praying that for some of you who've never given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ that you'll do that today just praying God would you just please use me to help them open their heart to the lamb who is a lion would you do that today God's brought you here you're not here by accident and he's speaking to your heart. And he's ready to explode it with a whole new life. If you'll just say to him, Jesus Christ, come in. I need you in my life. I want eternity with you. I'd turn away from being king in my own life. And I want to make you my king. And I know that I'm talking to some others who are here today. You've done that before but somehow you've kind of gotten your eyes off the main throne room of reality. And today, Jesus is calling you to say, look, be strong, courage. I'm going to help you. Lord God, I pray for people who are hearing my voice right now that you'd help each of us to do with you what we need to do open every part of our life to you we ask you to please take your rightful place you made us for this and we want to live for you in Jesus name we pray amen now listen before we go jamming out of here this holiday weekend we're going to sing one more time just to worship to to, you know to put a clap on the end of what we've been focused on now while we've been here and uh, it could be that, you know, there's some of you who prayed for the first time to open your life to Christ. And on the back of your outline, there's a little QR code that says, I'm, I'm, I'm following Jesus for the first time. I encourage you to check that out. Some of you re-surrendering today, there's another QR code specifically for that. Those of you who are watching online, there, there is either a way in which a link is being put up that you can follow, or just email me, Pastor Steve at northpoint.org. We'll get this same information in your hands. Could be some of you are here today. You're up, against, you're up against a mountain in your life. And you just like to pray with somebody or ask questions. There are people on the wall right over there who right after the service would love to have the chance to just talk with you. In fact, while we're singing, some of you even could just go over and just walk up to one of them and just say, look, could we talk for a moment? And we have a quiet place where you can sit and do that. But let's just spend these next few moments in worship of Him, all right?